In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive welcome to episode 354 i'm your host noah nelson this week on the show you might detect a theme that being games games you play outside your home our first guest this week is kevin williams of spider entertainment and publisher of the amusement industry focused stinger report who we check in with on the state of vr in location-based entertainment then we have a chat with james cobalt to talk about the malden gaming district in malden massachusetts a unique neighborhood that has drawn a collection of businesses offering games of all stripes from the only Borderborg in the U.S. to mini golf to the pending arrival of Cobalt's own venue, the Immersive Game Theater, all in the historic core of a town just outside of Boston, which means this week's watchword is fun. But before pleasure must come the business, this podcast and all we do at NoPro is brought to you by our generous Patreon supporters. Our latest backers are Margaret Carrison, that name's familiar, and Lindsay Carpenter. This week, we're looking to get at least five new backers. We need five new backers at the $5 level to right the ship and keep up with rising costs. That's right. Even the digital stuff is costing more to do, and we do need your support support like our sustaining backers ari hurston chris woolman samantha davison eric shamlin elaine jay bushman jerome joseph gentes david bassick richard ayers lonnie hands-on mark balthazar sydney guillory and jan budman thank you all for your continued major support patreon.com slash no proscenium is where you go to help us out and with that let's get to the show People know the worlds of location-based entertainment like Kevin Williams of Spider Entertainment, who has been working in and shaping this field both as a creative and as founder and publisher of The Stinger Report, a must-read in the amusement and attractions industry. He's also one of my all-time favorite guests on this here little podcast. Kevin, it's good to have you back. Oh, it's very kind of you to say that, and uh, I hope I find you well. Uh, you find me, you find me good enough, uh, on a very hot Wednesday morning in Los Angeles. Oh, it's um, a very hot, uh, uh, evening here in London. I, I've, I've heard, uh, and I've been mortified <laughs> for everyone over there. It's like, it's not fair. Y'all, y'all shouldn't have to deal with that. Um, so what we're doing right now, this conversation started as most things do these days as a DM, uh, because location-based entertainment, LBE for short is uh, stretching its legs as the high pandemic gives way to this new normal. And and you had posted something on Facebook and I like responded. And, and then I was like, oh, I should bring Kevin on the show because you had just gone to Sandbox VR, which had just opened in London. And I'm wondering, since this is your speci- speciality, uh, what's your read on Sandbox debut? Well, it's interesting. So we're looking at this being the 18th Sandbox venue for those people that don't know sandbox vr is a free roaming location-based entertainment facility uh, akin to what our friends at the void previously attempted uh, and the interesting thing about this particular one in london and i've had the chance to to do a number of them uh, in america and asia is this is the first franchise so now we're seeing mm. that uh, 400 million that they raised from the likes of amazon so, uh, no, no, sorry, my apologies, Alibaba <laughs> and uh, the AAA investors have now, uh, has now sort of had to come out of uh, being an exclusive and to be more uh, ruggedized as a concept that every person could go for. And in the London facility, we're seeing uh, some additions. They've increased, uh, they've added a kind of social entertainment aspect to the mix which is something that we're seeing across uh, a lot of the aspects with the, as you call it, the post-COVID location-based bounce that we're seeing. 
So when we say like a social space, so like there's there's like a a gathering point, a bar in front, and then and then the the the, the pods are behind that. Is it so? Does it feel like you've stepped into like a almost like a not even like a movie theater lobby, but more like a theater theater lobby? Because a theater theater lobby always has a bar. I guess movie theaters now have bars too, but. So people who've been to um, sandbox VR venues know that they're a little bit stuck on fixtures mm-hmm. and fittings. There's the registration area, which is handled through kiosks. There's the briefing area, and then there's the enclosure, the arena, the free roaming space. And this particular site is unusual that it has four of those units, so they can have quite a few parties running through. They also have an upstairs private bar area for private events. And the the centerpiece, literally the centerpiece attraction there, is that they've got a cocktail robot. So that kind of makes the space a kind of high-tech, technology-based, social entertainment environment. Not aiming at the kids, it's not an arcade. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting because like you know little shades of two bit circus here in L.A. They've got a cocktail robot and 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 the and the bar and the food and then they had the little, they 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 don't have big arena free roam like they've got one space where they sometimes pop that stuff up into but they they did a bunch of VR cabanas although they converted a lot of those into or at least at least two of them into small kind of escape game adjacent. Uh, pieces well two Um, two bit circus really did um try and cut their own path plow their own field as it were they developed a lot of the original attractions that went into the los angeles facility their micro theme park um they developed themselves and some of them hit some of them didn't and so those areas were pulled out and so they've now pivoted and they've where they had their vr experience that they'd created themselves they've now removed that and placed uh, a Hollowgate off-the-shelf uh, platform, and we know that they'll be opening their Dallas facility soon, and there'll be a lot more off-the-shelf products going into that space. You mentioned the void, and and pre-pandemic, we saw we saw their take on it, which was similar in in the kind of the starkness. You know, there were you, you go in, there's the the check-in kiosk, there's a briefing area, and then there might be one or two stages uh, behind. Uh, I think Anaheim had two, uh, Glendale had one, and these were these were strip mall and mall space. Actually, where where is the sandbox spot? This sounds like a pretty big spot. Is this off High Street? Is this somewhere all on its own? Where have they situated so, themselves? So Covent Garden is a large uh, tourist uh, and leisure area in the center of London. Um, uh, near Trafalgar Square. Well, well, you need to know your London anatomy, but Leicester Square, uh, and then you've got um, Covent Garden area. Uh, and just off of that, uh, uh, kind of, there is this brand new uh, building that's gone in, and they've taken uh, a considerable unit, uh, about 12,000 square feet, I think, off the top of my head, to make this multi layer. So uh, on the ground floor is the robot and the briefing areas. On the top floor is this bar area that I was talking about. And in the basement area are these three pods with a fourth one on the first floor, but used as a kind of uh, on the ground floor, but used more as a, a private fire location. Mm. That's, I mean, that, that's a lot of territory, three floors. Um uh, it, it, they 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 utilize it well, you know. As you said, with the void, it was a minimalistic approach. It is the, as I like to call it, the uh, wannabe Apple Store approach to uh, retail facility layout or retail attainment, as these spaces are usually called. Do you think this strategy that Sandbox is is pursuing by having this feel like a a social destination is this a serious step up for? Um, for this standalone VR attraction uh, setting, or or is this is this like a, the eight billionth stab at doing some of this? Because I'm I think of I'll think of a Dave of Buster's. I'll think of um, oh god, what was that um, GameWorks back in the oh. day, which I really loved. I but I was I'm, I'm a soon to be back nerd. again. <gasps> really? Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> You need to go to Seattle. That original GameWorks facility has been reopened by a, a new management group. So they're, they're taking a stab at it again. And funny enough, 
what caused the demise of uh, our friends at the void is very similar to what really caused the demise of the final version of GameWorks. And so both of these entities are sort of asking to use one of their spare credits to come back to life again and have another attempt. Because that's that is true the case. Like vo- the void is also uh, aiming to come back, but but to to kind of, I'm the one who <laughs> derailed us there with talk of GameWorks. You should have seen the look on my face. We're not doing video. I was like I'm like completely like oh, really, uh, and I got friends in <laughs> Seattle, so I'm with like oh go to GameWorks. Yes. <laughs> well, hopefully the uh, Vegas facility will open up again. Well, I, I I think I'd been to the Seattle one like on my one trip to Seattle many many moons ago. Uh, I I made a point of like I gotta go to GameWorks while I'm here. Um, so, but this proposal, if you will, this 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 prototype uh, yes. for the franchise that Sandbox has laid out. I mean, do you think this is a really strong foot forward? Like, does this does this feel right to you? What they're doing? So I've been following the sandbox creation from their Hong Kong roots. And you know, we, it, it, the novel VR is one of those things. This is the, for me in location-based entertainment, this is the third time that VR has tried to establish itself as a, as a successful platform for deployment in location-based entertainment. And, you know, this is a very important moment because the technology is, is viable but it's now down to the experience getting away from the novelty and becoming the the money generation and from sandbox vr's point of view they've had a very large bucket of money to throw at this problem they they've made some interesting mistakes based upon um their interpretation of what the entertainment market is coming from a you know an entrepreneurial basis they they are literally learning how to cook from the beginning uh and my feeling is that it's all down to the content and the experience. So if they can, you know, price it right, roll out regular updates and keep it fresh, then they've got a, a better chance of surviving than their predecessors. The issues are they're a one-hit um, experience. And our industry at the moment is looking more at uh, new terminology, mules, mixed-use leisure entertainment venues that have a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of everything, rather than venues that just depend on one experience. And um, you know, with the explosion in competitive socialising that we're seeing, you know, the miniature golf, the axe throwing, um, the uh, the beer pong, the retro arcades. There may be a space for this, but you know you understand that technology and cocktails is not always good bedfellow. <laughs> uh, yes, I do. Well, talk to me a little bit about about the mule here, the mixed use. Uh, wait, wait, mixed use leisure entertainment. Entertainment. Okay, good. I got it. I got it on the first time. Um, is is that form sort of looking for its proper alchemy? Because you mentioned a bunch of things that can go in. And I, I instantly started thinking of the way kind of Area 15 in Vegas as sort of a, 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 a meta, yeah, like a meta mule. Because they've got, you've got yes. Omega Mart, major attraction. They also have a retro arcade. They've got an axe throwing bar. They've got a few other, you know, little things here and there. They've got some of these, you know, yes. individual VR units. Um, so in, in many ways, like that's what area 15 and is. And it's a moving feast. It isn't, it isn't nailed down they, you know, they can pull out uh, a failing object and drop in a new one for, for, yeah. for most people, you know, the mule is not a new uh, dichotomy to understand. It is fundamentally what a family entertainment center is. Your yeah. Dave and Buster's is a mixed use leisure entertainment facility. They prefer to be called an entertainment site or they, uh, was it urban entertainment center purely because that is the expression to the audience you know no one goes to the children or, or goes to their best friends on a Thursday evening or a Friday evening and shouts hey let's go to a location-based entertainment center that's only what we do in the trade it, it, it's let's go to an entertainment facility it's got cocktails let's go to that sports bar yeah. So Dave and Buster's, um, Chuck E. Cheese are mixed-use leisure entertainments. They have uh, their private party area. They have their restaurant area. They have their amusement area. They have their soft play area. In Dave and Buster's case, they have their sports bar. Their, uh, they have their scratch-built food area. They have their redemption prices. They have their amusements. They even have their virtual reality experiences. 
And the trick about successful mules is the, fees, uh, the flexibility of the package that you're offering your audience, keeping it fresh. And usually the failures are the one, uh, the entertainment venues that are set in stone. And so mm. we have a number of, you know, as a consultant before starting Spider Entertainment, you know, I was called in a lot by investors to do post-mortem on projects. And though it's very good for the brain, you know, it is also very hard on the investor's uh, wallet to hear the reasons why their, you know, their investment has been squandered. And so you have to go into the minutiae and you have to lessen the blow. Uh, and one of those, it, it's been a lot of people have turned to me and said, no, if you know so much, do it yourself. You know, you come from a Disney background. Why haven't you rolled out your own location based entertainment initiatives? And so that's part of the reason why Spider Entertainment was created, was, you know, our fundamental is we brought together specialists in the sector to actually make a go of a much more professional rollout of location-based entertainment concepts internationally. No insults to the people that are uh, rolling out their own projects, but a lot of this isn't um, dark arts. A lot of what goes into these facilities is known applications it just needs to be done correctly so to your point about sandbox pivoting towards uh, competitive socializing or uh, more of a social entertainment network i think that's them following the zeitgeist or the franchisees should i say the person who's purchased the franchise for london has decided to go for you know to cover their losses and go for a, a much more wider offering rather than just two uh, two arenas in a high foot traffic area and hope that enough people will go onto the app to register to come in. You, you also created a place that offers a um, private hire aspect. And for most people in who look at location-based entertainment, we have rules that kind of tell us that 40% of your revenue is going to be coming from the private party, private hire, social gathering events. And especially post-pandemic, we're seeing a lot of people wanting to get physical yeah. in an entertainment kind of way. I mean, one of the things, lessons I've taken as we move out of the high pandemic into this low is people really do want to connect with each other in person. And and some folks, you know, they want to keep it to their pod. And escape gaming had already, pre-pandemic, really started to lean towards uh, away from public ticketing for any of the escape games because people exactly. found it, it wasn't fun to play with randos, you know, like it was, it was often painful. Um, it, it's I'm sure it was, it's interesting about the escape room business. The, the escape room business is a phenomenal industry, but it has very few chains. There are yeah. most escape room facilities, including the most successful uh, of the ones that are located in cities, are one-hit Charlies. They are a facility that has developed itself, built up an audience, and as you say, knows its audience, which is not drop-in, but private hire. And some of the most successful of the escape rooms, especially in New York and London and Los Angeles, uh, you know, work very hard with their reservation platforms. Um, and I, I think we will be seeing a change in how escape room business goes, Part of that will be fueled by the competitive socializing aspect. The escape room needing to offer a private hire experience also means that they need to think about their cocktails. They need to think about food offering. They even need to think about uh, their changeability, updating the facility. Yeah, the, the the one of the things that's interesting about the escape room world is like you have the deep enthusiasts. So you have the folks who they go on holiday and like they want to hit as many escape games in oh, God, a, yes. a given area as they can. Right. You know, there's, there's tours that get organized even. And, and, and so yeah. a facility can last for some number of years based on, on that traffic we've seen so far, right? Like there's, there's yes. probably an end date, but um, they, they, because they tend update. to be unique. Hmm? Or a period of update when they need to actually bite the bullet and go for a, an update of their facility, a rebranding, a repurchasing of experiences. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some pieces that like, oh God, I'm thinking of like there's there's a unit down in, a, 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 you know, it's a, it's a it's an individual you know uh, facility 
down in Orange County and they had yep. they had three games going and and one of the games is really inventive but uh they they cycled that one out and they're putting I think something that's a little more it sounds like it may be a little more conventional but with them conventional is never ever really entirely the name of the game uh but it's it the they replaced what was basically a social deduction style game with what sounds yep. like they're leaning towards something that's uh, a little bit more traditional escape room but still they have a good reputation and they're always they're always down with twists so uh, and, and, and a lot of the, you know, if you follow the, I, uh, for the book that we did on the uh, the out of home entertainment sector, uh, I had to delve into the world of the escape room. You know how how the first of the you know the Hungarian and the Japanese concepts that that then turned into permanent facilities that are the escape room that we know today. And the escape room is, if you look at the Venn diagram that I use to describe the out of home entertainment sector it is still in that um part of uh, the the market where it hasn't established itself as a proper genre it has established itself as an industry and mm. sitting next door to it is the scare attraction industry so the set you, you kind of see a, a crossover the same people that like doing the halloween uh, jump out and scare pop-up uh, installations that will start their rollout in a in a couple of weeks' time um, for the Halloween business, also share some uh, uh, similarities in operational and approach and business that the escape room sector uh, has. And the one thing about the escape room applications, there's three three core flavors. There's the incredibly clever DIY version where someone's been down to Ikea and a locksmith and created a very you know, homebrew uh, version. Then there is the plug and play where you buy the kit, the uh, how to operate your own escape room package. And then you have the top of the range, which are specially developed. You know, Universal has uh, at the Orlando Park a, a, a specially themed uh, attraction that is kind of an escape room that opens up uh, f- uh, to capture that market. That's the escape room business. That kind of model doesn't usually apply in location-based entertainment. The the enthusiast with a wheel, a screwdriver, and a paintbrush usually get away with it for the first facility and then have to grow incredibly quickly to survive. Do you feel like there's a, a boom on the horizon for location-based entertainment? I mean, so much of retail footprint has changed over the past decade so there's a lot of commercial space that's available um there's maybe less foot traffic though all at the same time the the movie business has changed um as everyone's kind of glued to their screens there's it feels like on the one hand we're sort of being acculturated away from going out but in the same breath, we see how popular music festivals are and the proliferation of those. We see just the the human urge to congregate doesn't go away just because we've got, you know, every movie we could possibly and game we could possibly ever want to play yeah. on a screen plugged into our homes 24-7. Yeah. Um, where do you think we are in, in, the, in the arc here of, of the boom and bust cycle of LBE? Well... We were in 2019 just about to start uh, what what you would call a boom and I would call a period of extreme growth. Uh, if you look at the, the sine wave of location-based entertainment, it goes through booms and busts, as it were. It goes through strong periods of popularity. And recently, experiential has gone through the roof as something people wanted uh, an experience that they couldn't achieve at home that was unique. Uh, the sudden growth in secret cinema, uh, the sudden interest in theme parks uh, and adult entertainment facilities, and then along came uh, the global health crisis. And you know, all the all the specialists, all the experts, all the pundits said that the restaurant, cinema, and location-based in- entertainment industries were going to die and never come back. And being a realist, I've been through a number of recessions. I haven't been through a pandemic before, and I hope I'd never go through that again. But you know, as a realist, I know that uh, our industry is not, as some people like to call, recession-proof, but it is recession-resilient. We are 
a physical industry that uh, is difficult to emulate sitting at home. And as you're seeing, uh, though consumer gaming is still very popular and streamed entertainment is very popular, after people were allowed to leave their front doors and get out into the real world, we have seen an increase in investment in location-based entertainment and also in social entertainment aspects. The um, Putt Shack is a very well-known British mini-golf cocktail experience uh, location-based entertainment concept. And that has rolled out a number of facilities in England and then received a considerable amount of investment to start rolling out in uh, North America. Wouldn't surprise uh, the listeners to know that the people behind uh, Putt Shack are also the same uh, experts that were behind Top Golf, which is the incredibly popular uh, social entertainment uh, golf shooting range experience. Um, and now we're seeing quite considerable amounts of investment being put in to try and roll this out. As you stated, cinema is in the process of trying to reinvent itself. Some cinemas are going to the wall. Other cinemas are downscaling and becoming much more exclusive social environments with food and cocktail and better seating and removing the sticky carpets. And in the retail sector, retail attainment has grown where People are still going to the malls. People are still going, uh, not shopping, but going, um, well, some people you know, like to uh, say that they're going to a car showroom, even though they're buying their car online. They're going to an Apple store, even though they're going to buy their, uh, their Apple equipment online. So the, the mall industry is thinking that it's going to become much more of a showroom and to increase dwell time, they're looking at... Uh, entertainment uh, that can fit into retail units. And you could say that the Void, Dreamscape, uh, and uh, Sandbox VR were examples of VR location-based entertainment that was built to sit in either the foyer of a cinema or that could be put into a retail unit. You mentioned something like the Void, something like Dreamscape, sitting in the, the foyer of a cinema or or. Being, I mean, I think of the void being like right there at the front of uh, the Glendale Galleria in in mm. Glendale, or that Dreamscape was making the deals with AMC to put Dreamscape, and I think they they, they still have some of these units um, Two, yeah. inside AMC theaters. Yeah. Is that the destiny for the free roam VR, or or do you think that they're going to be able to be this sandbox model? Of, of having its own kind of franchise facility so that it is the traction in itself and not, and not the, you know, the plus up of, of, of a night on the town. I, I think it's incredibly difficult to feed the monster of location-based entertainment. If you don't have multiple offerings, I think also saddling yourself with extreme royalties through licensing uh, can be a, an albatross too difficult to bear. Uh, and also the way that many of these companies have positioned themselves is that they, they're they riding the razor blade uh, of technology. So along with having to create extreme content as long as trying, as well as trying to pare down this technology to be suitable for uh, Joe Schmo to visit it, you also need to have a very savvy business model on your facility. It's uh, Sometimes it's vi uh, vampiric where you put these attractions near where there's high foot traffic. So a popular mall doing a deal with a large mall operation is commonplace. We saw that with Netflix when they did their, uh, their experimentation with um, uh, Army of the Dead. Viva Vengeance, they, you know, the first rollouts of those virtual reality experiences based on a licensed IP were put in high foot traffic shopping mall locations. And even their first permanent facility is put next door to Area 15 in the entertainment hub there in Las Vegas. So you can see the thinking behind this. But sometimes with virtual reality, they may be thinking that the technology is the be-all and end-all, and they're not actually thinking about the overall dwell time experience. You mentioned being on the razor's edge of technology and the VR folks sometimes putting all the chips on that. Oh, yeah. uh, are, are there 
things on the tech horizon here, uh, whether aspects of it moving to the home market and, and that may be taking away some of the novelty or things that are too pricey to set up in your living room or garage if you are lucky enough to have a living room or garage that are, are going to be the you know going to drive more people out to to encounter this this stuff it it was very difficult for the virtual reality uh startups uh they, they were sold a story that everybody would dedicate a certain space within their homes to having the best VR setup. Um, you know, that was the argument behind the Vive uh, and the CV1 from Oculus. Uh, and then when that didn't achieve the numbers, it was the argument that, oh, well, it must be the price of the VR hardware that's stopping this becoming ubiquitous mainstream technology. Now we're learning a little bit more about how successful the the Quest 2 actually has been in sales. And now we're seeing the pivot of, oh, well, maybe it needs to be linked to multiple experiences. I I work in the outer home entertainment sector. If you can do this at home, you're going to do it at home. You don't need to go out from your comfortable settee and couch uh, and go to a location-based entertainment to do it. So that's why out-of-home entertainment VR isn't just about doing VR in many cases. It's about multiple player experiences, which you can't do with the current tech consumer technology. It's about physicality, having physical effects, wind, scent, uh, vibration, haptics. Um, so we're about the big experience. So we're kind of like the trying to scale a theme park into a uh, Macy's or a Sears store rather than trying to expand a consumer system and make it viable for location-based. We do use some of the technology that comes from consumer application, but most of the time we're using technology that comes from enterprise. So uh, one of the most successful head-mounted displays in our industry uh, in location-based is the Vive uh, Pro. Uh, which is the the commercial variant of uh, the, the HTC Vive family of headsets. We are now just seeing, you know, towards your question about technological advancements, our industry is looking very closely at streamed VR. So we're mm. using the latest 6G technology uh, and we have people foregoing the need for a backpack. Um, they don't have to have that cumbersome PC to go around and experience the VR in, uh, environment. And we can have more people moving together in synchronized virtual reality experiences. That's technology that won't be achievable off the shelf from a consumer system. You know, you have enough problems just rendering your legs in most uh, <laughs> uh, consumer VR uh, low-cost experiences. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, Beat Saber is an incredibly successful product. It was in very successful in location-based entertainment, and it is you know, a product that is hoping to sell the future of the Quest. But fundamentally, out-of-home entertainment is about the experience being second to none. The phrase we like to use is unachievable at home. So consumer is consumer. I expect that the Sony PlayStation to, uh, VR system two will be very successful for Sony and for the sale of PlayStation fives and for the content. Will that have a life outside in the outer home entertainment sector? No, but I wouldn't be surprised if certain content migrates into our sector. The best example we have is um, our friends at Ubisoft. Ubisoft, as well as being into mobile gaming, as well as being into online gaming, as well as being into console PC gaming. They also have an interest in location-based entertainment. There's uh, Ubisoft uh, Escape Games VR, where they create versions of their popular IP as virtual reality escape games. And they've just did a deal with one of the largest of the uh, free-roaming location-based entertainment operators, Zero Latency. And they created a version of the Far Cry game which you can play uh, groups of four people playing in the, the Far Cry universe, very compelling. The same way that it was compelling for Lucas and Disney to have a virtual reality experience that utilized the, the Star Wars universe or the Wreck-It Ralph universe, you will see the IP holders looking at location-based entertainment as a very useful market recognition tool 
alongside their consumer interests. Well, I am always watching this space with with rapt interest, and and it's it's got this wild west feel to it uh, to this day. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm very glad to see that um, the the story of VR in LBE is is far from over. It seems. Kevin, thanks for for coming by and uh, bringing us up to speed on what's happening in uh, out of home entertainment and VR uh, in this uh, 2022 strange year of ours. Thank you very much for having us on. And I look forward to coming back to you when we open our first facilities to see how that Wild West is going. Oh, please do. Please do. About six miles north of Boston, across the Mystic River, Malden, Massachusetts is a town with just under 70,000 souls, and as everyone's favorite, Wikipedia, tells us, was the first town to petition the colonial government to secede from the British Empire. There's a different kind of historic first, this time in the 21st century, that delights us today, and that's the Malden Gaming District, a collection of game-based businesses gathered in the town's historic core. Joining us today is James Cobalt, founder of the Immersive Game Theater, which is in the gaming district, to talk to us about this unique spot here in the USA. James, thanks for taking time away from your lunch to talk with us today. <laughs> thanks, Noah. Didn't think I was going to go there. Um, okay, so I gave the SparkNotes version of what the gaming district is, but you're an active part of it. So how do you define this place? Oh, how do I define it? Well, it's a, I, do, I think of it as like a neighborhood. Uh, it really, it's just a couple city blocks. Um, and it, it is a city. Uh, Malden is technically a different city from Boston. But if you're familiar with the area, you would know like Boston is the size of a pea. And there are all these other cities with similar population density right around it. Uh, I mean, I, I, could, I could literally run to Boston from here. Um, so it, it's not like uh, LA where everything is Uh, really spread out and you have to drive everywhere, right? So, um, you know, the gaming district, it's basically right by one of the the subway stops. It's off of the Orange Line. Um, And it's kind of started out as a confluence, kind of a lucky one of Mm. a couple nerdy gaming-related businesses. Um, And as anyone who's taken, like, Business 101 in college knows, like, there is synergy by getting similar businesses next to each other is not necessarily competition. Um, it helps everybody out. Uh, so it started in 2015 with the first and still only U.S. location of Bodeborg, uh, which is this um, kind of like this arcade of different challenges, physical, mental, and so on. Um, kind of like I describe it as like if Mario, Mario Party was real, oh. you know, like a bunch of little, there's like a bunch of series of small rooms each with a unique challenge that you play with your friends. Um, and they're short, right? They're like maybe three to five minutes long. Uh, and so they they chose Malden as their first U.S. location. Um, and I wrote to the mayor's office saying like, this could actually be something really great for us if we kind of piggyback off of this because um, our city didn't really have much to define ourselves from some of the other cities around here i think people thought of it kind of like as just a residential city and our you know we had some nice restaurants in our this downtown core area of malden this like few blocks around the subway station but it wasn't a destination for people like if you were in boston you weren't going to take the train 15 minutes north into malden um and they were looking for some hooks and they did build like a, a small stadium i believe um to host some like local and regional games. Um, but I was saying like, hey, you already have like, you have Bodeborg, now you have these other things. If you can attract a few other businesses to the area, then you could basically have an entertainment district. Um, so either that inspired somebody in the office or somebody had the same idea at the same time uh, because the basically the head of business development in the mayor's office started reaching out um, to other businesses and trying to attract them into this this area so that's that's fascinating to me like it's such being in los angeles and and talking with a lot of folks across the the scope of the states 
and knowing like in a lot of cities, escape games, immersive gaming, immersive theater, any of this stuff is seen as alien and strange and weird. And, and like the permitting folks don't want to deal with the permitting for it. The fire department wishes it would all just go away. Um, you know, it, it, it tends to be generally hostile and here's a town looking for an identity for itself and says like, Oh, we got these things. Let's roll with it. How, how I guess did it, I guess it seems to be working like more businesses showed up. Yeah. So a couple things happened. One is Bodeborg was a huge success and it, it, you know, brings tons of people to that downtown area and they're hungry after. So it's like the restaurants are like seeing, they're just doing very, very, very well. Bodeborg by nature spits a lot of people through its doors, like, cause these are short experiences. So tons of, you know, hundreds of people come in, hundreds of people come out every night and they look for places to eat. So um, they saw it in the numbers, the city did. Uh, and it also helps that the head of business development there is an enthusiast to some of these experiences. Like, you know, he just took his family out to go to like Meow Wolf and they hit a bunch of escape rooms in California. And so that helps, of course, too. Um, but I think it was like having that initial business that you could point to and say, look, people actually come here. They go out of their way to experience this, right? And so they would talk about the experience economy and how they wanted to go all in on that. So they've brought, uh, they've brought a few more businesses. Um, there's a almost like Meow Wolf meets mini golf place. It's like psychedelic mini golf. Huh. Um, and it's very artsy and a little scrappy. And uh, it has this concept of being a science experiment. So everyone's in lab coats and stuff. Uh, trying to make, I guess, mini golf more immersive. Um, we we love a, ourselves some mini golf. Uh, it's, actually, and, it's a it, lot of fun. And in fact, uh, I know for a fact that one of the founders of Meow Wolf loves VR mini golf. So they should, they should like invite them out. Um, sorry, I got I'm obsessed with mini golf these days. Um, yeah, they um, they also brought in a really big pool hall. They brought in. Um, uh, like an esports place that has a VR as well, um, but they have like a lot of battle stations for people. Um, mm. They also they they're talking to like there are some things I can't talk about yet because they haven't signed. Um, but like the city gets really really involved. So like for example, there's this huge like oh gosh, it's um, it must be like sixteen thousand square feet uh, old historic bank building uh, right at the end of the street. And the city's like, hey, we are trying to, they went to the um, developers and they said, hey, we're trying to make a gaming district here. So let us help you try to find, a, you know, somebody that would be interested in the space for that purpose. Um, and then the developers were like, that'd be great. Of course, like the city's going to help us. Cool. Uh, there were also things that were already there. So like, there were, you know, there there were restaurants, right? So they, the city asked, like, "Hey, would you be interested in setting up um, like Street Fighter at your cocktail bar or something, right? Like, uh, the, you know, the library. Would you be interested in hosting board game nights? Um, we don't have a board game cafe, but there's a library right there, and they have a ton of board games. So just host something. So that I mean, that's a high level of involvement from the city to like really kind of give this identity. That's a lot more than I was thinking was going to be going on like going to the library and setting a board game night and like saying like oh hey could you put a could you put pac-man over here uh but like, it, this it's low lift it's so yeah. easy to just ask somebody like um th there were other things that were recontextualized a little bit kind of to fit into that so there's like a, a karaoke tv place right that scores your singing so it's like is, is it a game well no i don't know but it there are points <laughs> and uh you know, it's a fun thing to do with friends. Um, Has this sort of changed who comes comes into to town? I mean, obviously, it's bringing people in, but like, do you feel like it's changed like the 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 nature of like the weekend crowd? Oh yeah, I mean, one of my friends who used to live here in Malden came to visit because we're opening up our space. We we've only run one. We ran like an immersive concert there uh, last year, and now we're rebuilding everything uh to do this kind of like larp escape room hybrid 
Uh, so one of my good friends who used to live here came to visit and see the build out and how it was going. And she got off the train and started laughing hysterically because she was like, am I at the right? Like, I don't even recognize this place. And she grew up here. And in just like five years, it looks completely different. Uh, the buildings look completely different and the crowds look very different. It used to be very sleepy. And now you have uh, people of all types, uh, especially kids, which you would never see. Uh, in the area. And now you, you have like a lot of families coming as well. For the folks who are coming in, what are, I mean, other than like easy access to, to all this stuff at once, I guess, what are the other advantages uh, to them? Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of this from the the point of view of the, the patron, right? Cause from the business point of view, those synergies make sense. Having the city on your side makes sense. I'm wondering if there's sort of, you know, are there elements of culture that are starting to kind of form around these? Like, you know, uh, you mentioned families coming in are, but is there like a, a, a rhythm of the calendar year uh, where, where people are going? Is there a high turnover on the games or is this sort of the kind of thing where people come in for a weekend, knock a bunch of stuff out and then go and it just becomes tourist destination? Or is there, is, is there a culture forming? I think there is a culture forming. So there's a comic shop here in the district that hosts um, like Magic the Gathering nights. And it's almost like informal. Like it's, it's like not even official official, but somebody was like, let's host them. Like one of the employees wanted to do it. And now like I think twice a week, a bunch of people gather out in front of the store and then they uh, head to one of the bars um, that has opened up in the area and they play. Uh, and I've heard from so many people that are like, oh, uh, yeah, I played at Bodeborg four times because uh, it has high replayability. So I think it's mostly local or regional, rather. People definitely are driving in from like southern New Hampshire, which, again, for people not familiar with New England, all our states are very, very tiny. Everything yeah. is small here. So yeah. it's not uh, a big deal. LA, LA folks, in. that means driving from Orange County. And I yes. think I may be completely accurate with that. <laughs> And I'm not talking Irvine. I'm talking Anaheim. You know, maybe, maybe Buena Park. Um, sorry. Yeah. My, it's, my it's aunt lives. Long. My aunt lives in uh, a redacted town, uh, but out there. So, like, yeah, I know. I was when I was a kid. We like went from one of the suburbs in Boston to go up to New Hampshire, like one of the battlefields or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, because like that's what you that's what you did. And I'm like, oh, we're getting in the car. Wow, this is gonna be. And then we were there in five minutes. I'm like what (laughs) we're in a different state how is that physically possible yeah and and of course like there are uh nerds like myself who when they travel to boston they do come up and they're like oh let's we have to go here because this is where all these things are located they can like knock them out um but i don't that's probably a we're, we're probably too small to be like a real tourist destination in and of itself it's kind of like a a side quest that you take when you're doing the bigger stuff in Boston. But that's a lot better than it was before because nobody, you know, people be like, Malden, is that is that a neighborhood? What, right? They just didn't even know. Is there a model here for other towns for or other neighborhoods out in the rest of the country? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think identifying what you already have that you can kind of like gamify in a way. Um, so for example, there were a number of bars that were willing to add games to what they offer. There were a couple businesses that were kind of already on that spectrum, uh, like a comic book shop and a hobby shop and, um, you know, and then getting one or two businesses in, uh, kind of kickstarts things. As far as like the city's investment, they have done, like they invested in making like an ARG tour type thing like a augmented reality tour of of the area but like most of the stuff is is just a matter of asking uh just outreach you know a few signs like they put some signs up at the subway station and around town um and most of the press kind of just created itself people were interested they were curious so um, i don't think it's a huge lift to do something like this but it definitely takes at least some folks who are willing to cooperate with each other and, and hopefully at best someone in city hall somewhere who, who can see the value of this and doesn't oh, just yeah. say like, Oh, what? Huh? I don't understand. 
you know, and it, this it's not specific to this project, but I think that one thing that the city's done really well is um, in an effort to kind of like get these businesses in as fast as possible. They do. I've never heard of this before, and it's been really nice for us. Um, is that they get like I think twice a week they get all of the stakeholders in the city together in one room. So you have like somebody from the fire department and you have like the electrical inspector, you have all of these people in one room and they go over your stuff so that you get your answers like right away. Um, and I think that was also like, they, they, they give that pitch when businesses are thinking about opening up here in this district. And I think that's part of the success because like any of these uh, owners, that have opened up elsewhere know how exhausting it is to go from one department to the next to the next, trying to get your permits, trying to get your licenses, trying to get everything passed. And here it's like, you have one contact who is like an escape room nerd uh, who just answers all your questions and makes everything happen behind the scenes. And then it's like, oh yeah, our meeting's on Thursday. So we'll get, you know, you'll find out that. So, I mean, any town can do that. It's just a matter of coordination no real cost involved also might be a matter of uh the escape room and immersive nerds out there in the rest of the country going to organize some civil civil some uh civil service jobs for them you know go in there <laughs> yes go 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 get your towns together you know go become the person running the permitting meeting you want more of these things make it an inside job <laughs> everything's a puzzle if you just look at it differently exactly politics the ultimate immersive game <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> I know I'm terrible sometimes, um, but it, but it's it's good. I mean, like it it does. It is one of those things where you know this sounds like a bit of an oasis to me, and I'm just like, oh, why why can't it be this way elsewhere? Like I've been in I've been in a meeting room in LA where they had the mayor's office, the planning commission, the vice squad, the fire department, like practically ambushing a bunch of folks. Uh, you know, immersive theater creators, site-specific theater creators, escape room designers, like, and and they held their own. We held our own, but the sheer inertia, uh, and and the fact that like you know you get a sufficiently large enough you know city and like they just they don't want to do the thing. Um, but I think there is. I think the other part of the model here is like smaller towns and townships and and places where that are connected to a big town but city but don't have the same kind of bureaucratic inertia are probably like a great place for people to target if they want to get some of the stuff going on. Yeah. And, and the fact that Malden exists and can be a case study for folks uh, is, is super valuable. Yeah. I think any place that like is looking for that hook too, that's make going to make them stand out. You're right. Cause like, like I said, all these cities are very small. How do you differentiate your town or city from all of these others? Yeah. Well, James, you do have your own spot that you're building in Malden. Anything you want to tell us about about the immersive gaming theater? Oh, um, yeah. So I'm a big fan of immersive theater uh, and also of escape rooms. And so I kind of just was like, I want all the things. Uh, so who <laughs> knows how well that's going to play out with, um, you know, your everyday audience when suddenly they're put into this position. Um, where they're inhabiting something, some some sort of entity that's not themselves. But um, for the right person, I think it'll be very engaging. Um, it's, it's kind of like um, we're we're building some of our own stuff, but we're also trying to find like other creators that we can also host their stuff. Um, so that's what we did last year: is we hosted um, this artist who creates the series, this uh, Reagan Esther Meyer series about this post-apocalyptic Reagan-esque world uh, that um, where kind of like everything is highly controlled and so on. And, uh, she has this one woman show. It's an immersive concert. And so uh, I was so thrilled to be able to get this for our space. Um, maybe we'll be, we might be, I think she's working on some new stuff, so we might be able to get it there, but it's like the whole, is a whole thing. So it's not just games necessarily, but um, interactive and immersive um i don't know i can you tell i'm kind of like um out of it because opening up a business is exhausting uh but we've been our first uh kind of like larpish escape room game um it's called every day is christmas and it will run year round because every day is christmas um <laughs> and it's a, like a family friendly larp 
thing at the North Pole. Uh, we've been working on the build out for almost a year now um, and hope to be open by November because I would like to um, eat good food again. Food is expensive and opening yeah. a business is, is much more than that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But please come out and um, just as an aside, Next time you're in New Hampshire and you have to visit a battleground or something like that, swing down. Oh yeah. Oh, it, trust me. When I when I get to leave, uh, you know, Southern California at some point, which I'm, I'm relatively landlocked, uh, the gaming district is is high on the list of things I want to go check out. So. Oh, I forgot um, to mention that um, the mayor is actually going to be speaking at Recon next month, um, which is a reality escape convention. I think you you've spoken with. Um, david and lisa about that from room escape artists but oh yeah um they had their the uh convention is which is sold out unfortunately i mean fortunately but unfortunately for anyone that is curious um but there's going to be a day excursion to the gaming district and uh, the mayor and uh kevin duffy who's head of uh, the business development is gonna give a talk about it uh so people get to see it firsthand and i'm i think that um i think that they might be getting they might make some additional content outside of the convention for people that are curious. Very cool. Very, very cool. Um, well, and just, you know, for those who are in new England as a whole, because again, small enough. And if you haven't gone down to Malden, uh, make your way down there and check it out. And I know that, uh, I know that some of the no pro team and crew, like they actually have to go out to Boston for like their day job stuff. And I I think they're going to go, go visit. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the field reports. So it's quite exciting. James, I know you've got to speaking of food, uh, maybe get a little more lunch in, uh, before you go back to your day job, but I want to thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us this week and, uh, telling us about the district. Thanks, Noah. Once again, I want to thank James and Kevin for being our guests on the show this week. While I have you for a couple of minutes, I want to draw your attention to uh, the other two rings here in the No Proverse. That'd be the websites. Yes, websites. Of course, there's No Proscenium. There's also Everything Immersive. Uh, This has been a a very busy week over at everythingimmersive.com. There's a lot of new material that's come through lots of new shows uh new work that's in los angeles you got the philly fringe is spinning up there's a whole bunch of work there so plenty to go out and see a lot of those links are going to come your way in the newsletter this week or maybe you found your way here to the podcast from the newsletter so you already know nevertheless keep up with the latest by checking in with everything immersive uh, at least a couple of times a week. Wednesdays are a great day to swing by. Uh, that's when the trailheads goes out, uh, leading you to some new adventures. But uh, we we update uh, we update things come in and uh, reshuffle the front page as much as we can. Over at NoPro, we brought back uh, a feature this week. I don't want to call it old because it's been uh, it's been uh, rebuffed, and we haven't done this since 2018, which. Um, both feels not that long ago and is also four years ago all at the same time, which is like, what you mean a kid could get through high school in that time? Yeah. Yeah. So that (laughs) feature we brought back is called the immersive five. This is where we ask a a standard set of questions to immersive creators. So a bunch of creators have gotten this same question, uh, question set, and we're going to roll these out once a week for a while, uh, a new edition this week. Uh, the Immersive Five is being answered by Particle Inc., Speed of Darks, The Light Poets. That is the collective that is behind that show in Vegas. You can find that on the front page of No Pro right now. I'll also put it in the show notes. And, of course, a new review rundown, which includes a look at... Uh, at uh, Phantom Peak in London, which is this uh, Victorian steampunk Americana Old West thing going on. Uh, Very, very fascinating that's happening in London. Uh, And then 
there's also a new edition of the Review Crew podcast, which you can find one click back in this feed. Uh, they're talking about uh, phone shows, and there's going to be more Review Crews coming up in the not-too-distant future. Uh, they will get recorded in a week and then come out the next week. So I don't think the team recorded this week, so that means there's nothing next week, but look forward to one the week after as uh, the, the rhythm sort of comes back in with the team over there on the crew, the team on the crew, the crew on the team. Bah, 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 bah. Um, that's it for me for right now. Uh, I'm fried. Uh, it is uh, late into the summer. Uh, I could use a break, but uh, no rest for no rest for me. Just, just none at all. I got to go make the newsletter for you. So I'm going to go do that right now. Uh, let's do the bit at the end of the show. The associate producer of No Persinium is Parker Sella. Music is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Shivano Lachlan for voicing our intro. And everything wrong with this is my fault. I'm Noah Nelson. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>